Hey, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. Colossians 2, 6 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we've got pew Bibles in front of most of the chairs here. If you don't have one, feel free to, to take that home as our gift to you. We'd love for you to, to have one of those. So today, Colossians 2, 6 through 7. Um, in college, I had a friend named Brad. And our freshman year, Brad was one of the smarter and uh, quote-unquote deeper Christians that I knew. Um, he led music, he led small groups, he even loved Cademan's Call, for all of you 90s and 2000s Christian music lovers out there. Um, in fact, Brad is the one who introduced me to a guy named R.C. Sproul um, and convinced me of what are known of as the doctrines of grace. Um, he was a ministry major and everyone on campus knew him. But by the time we were seniors, Brad was no longer a ministry major. Uh, he had abandoned the faith and had actually become a Buddhist. Uh, incredibly sad. Um, makes me sad even, even talking about that right now. He's one of my close friends. Uh, even those who uh, appear to be the best Christians on the surface aren't immune from abandoning the faith, all the while searching for deeper things. Uh, that's Paul's fear for the Colossian church, who's being sold a false gospel of Gnosticism. Uh, they're saying that it's Jesus plus the deeper spiritual things or the deeper knowledge. So what's real and what's fake? Uh, the best counterfeiters try to make fake money look like the real thing, right? Uh, if they handed you a, a purple piece of paper with the number 100 scribbled on it, you'd laugh and tell them to get out of there, right? Such is the case with counterfeit Christianity. It often looks like the real thing. But the question I want us to ask this morning as we begin to look at this text is, what is authentic Christianity? Today, uh, we get to hear what what some commentators call the heart of the letter of Colossians, or the hinge around which the book of Colossians turned. Uh, others say that these two verses that we're going to look at basically summarize the entire letter, and I think they're right on that. Uh, last week we learned that Paul's goal for the Colossians, and for us here this morning, is authentic Christian maturity, that we would grow in that. What does that look like? What is authentic Christianity? Well, let's dive in. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Today, uh, I want to show you two main propositions that Paul wants us to know and to believe in this text. Uh, authentic Christianity involves first, receiving, and second, walking. Receiving and walking. So point number one, receiving. What is authentic Christianity? 
Remember that the Gnostics are saying Jesus plus the deeper things. Vague spiritual rituals and ecstatic experience, speculative spiritual knowledge. So Paul, in response to that, reminds the Colossians of their conversion. And look what he says, beginning of verse 6. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, Receiving Christ Jesus, the Lord. That's common language for us as Christians. But this was unusual language for Paul. In fact, this is the only place in the New Testament where this combination of names and titles appears in this specific order. So, what is it that Paul's actually saying about the Colossians' conversion? First, Let's just ask the question, what does it mean to receive? This is important. Many of us who grew up in Christian homes, and praise God for those Christian homes, but we grew up hearing the phrase, all you've got to do is ask Jesus into your heart. Receive Jesus. I don't have a problem with that phrase, ask Jesus into your heart, if it's understood correctly. But honestly, usually it isn't. Uh, This word here, received, is simply talking about, or it isn't talking about, a personal commitment to Christ, though that's included. Um, It's talking about something even more than that. Uh, The the word here, received, is a somewhat technical term, which was used for receiving something delivered by tradition. Same exact word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 15 when speaking about the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Same word that Paul used in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, when he's talking about the Lord's Supper. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And then he continues on. So what I'm getting at is this. In using this word, Paul's pointing to a a truth that they received and accepted, a a truth that they believed. This would be in sharp contrast to Gnosticism, which had no such tradition that they had received. It was a new tradition and a novel teaching. But the Colossians had received this truth. What truth? Look at verse 6 again. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Again, these three words together are vital truths to the Christian faith. Uh, Many believe that these were actually formal words that a convert would publicly proclaim at their baptism. Jesus is Lord. We see this in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. It says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Similarly, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, says, Therefore, I want you to understand that 
No one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. One more, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, meaning Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the tradition that they had received. So let's just take those words one at a time. First of all, Christ. Contrary to popular belief, this isn't Jesus' last name. Christos, it's the Greek word for Messiah. They received him, Messiah, as the anointed one, the one who fulfilled every messianic prophecy of the Old Testament. The one spoken of in Isaiah 53, who would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. All of that is who the Christ is. Thus we see in Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 29, it says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. Peter was correctly identifying Jesus as the anointed Messiah, and the long-awaited rightful holder of the throne of King David. Christ. Now, the second word, Jesus. Even in this name, we're reminded of a couple of key truths. First, Jesus is a real Jewish name. He was a historical figure who was born in Bethlehem and lived in a first century Roman Judea. He was fully human, born into a body. Remember, this was contrary to what the Gnostics were teaching. Jesus was a real person with a real name in the history books. So receiving Jesus was to receive the incarnation. The word was made flesh, became human, dwelt among us. Second, the name Jesus is the Greek word for the Hebrew name Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation. So. In receiving Jesus, they're receiving him as the captain of salvation. And as Acts 4.12 says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the name they're talking about. So they received Christ Jesus. But there's one more word. The Lord, Christ Jesus, the Lord. This word reminds us that Jesus isn't just a good man. He's not just an example to us, 
He certainly is those things, but he's Lord. This word, Lord, is the Jewish title for God. Adonai, or Lord. You'll commonly see it in your your Old Testaments, written with all caps, L-O-R-D, in all capital letters. When they would do this and use the word Adonai, or, or Lord, they were doing it to avoid using the name Yahweh, out of reverence. They didn't even want to write the name, so they would use the word Lord. This was the name, Yahweh, that was revealed to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3. This is God, the creator and redeemer of everyone and everything. This word encapsulates everything that Paul just told us, that Tyler preached on, in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. So, as one commentator says it, receiving Christ Jesus as Lord isn't really about finding true fulfillment by inviting Jesus into my heart. It's a matter of bowing the knee before our rightful ruler. That's what it means to be an authentic Christian, to put your faith in Christ Jesus, the Lord. You trust in him, not your own works, not your own morality. You believe that he's your only hope and nothing else. What Paul's saying to the Colossian church is this. You received Jesus in all of his offices when you first believed. He's saying these are the bedrock truths that you believed about Christ. Now, here's the amazing part about that. With a lot of things in life, that when you're learning a sport or maybe even a game, you learn some basic rules and fundamentals of the game, and then... When you mature, you move on to more and more complex things. I think about surfing. When you first learn, you're pretty stoked just to catch a wave and go straight, right? But hopefully, as you get better, you learn to head down the line, going left or right. Maybe you're not a surfer, but maybe you're a chess player. You learn the basics of how the pieces move. But as you progress, You learn multiple different strategies for the opening, the middle, and the end of the game. The fundamentals are the same, but you you move on to bigger and better things. So Paul has just laid out the fundamentals of Christianity that they received. The Gnostics have been telling them, okay, you've got your fundamentals, now it's time to move on. Time to, to progress. But what does Paul say? Point two, walking. Look with me again at verses six and seven. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. First of all, remember that the word walking means how you live your way of life. Talk the talk, walk the walk. But the verb tense here is what's called a present imperative, which means continuous action. 
In other words, Paul's saying, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, keep living that way. Don't move on from your baptismal proclamation of Christ Jesus the Lord. How you begin the faith is how you will go on in the faith. Yes, grow in maturity. That's the goal. But never move on from the fundamentals of faith. Instead, keep walking in him. Understand this. This idea that faith begins one way but progresses another isn't just a Gnostic issue for the Colossian church. It's very, very prevalent today. Some believe that you begin by faith but progress by works. Others believe that you progress by a secondary spirit conversion. In other words, Jesus is just a starting point, but he's not enough. That's baloney. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so continue to walk in him. In him. Don't walk away from him, ahead of him, or apart from him. Keep walking in him. And because of our union with Christ, we already know that he dwells in us. The Christian life isn't just a a cooperative venture between you and Jesus. The Christian life is a life in him, totally dependent on his righteousness and his power. Paul's point is this. This is one of the most important things about us, that we're in Christ. And in light of that truth, keep living your life. What does that look like? I'm glad you asked. Look what the text says. Verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul mixes metaphors here, but it's powerful. The first metaphor he uses is rooted. And there's two ways to think about this. We live in Northern California, home of the redwoods. And if you know anything about redwoods, you know about their root systems. Redwood roots go into the ground and they spread out all over the place, usually about 100 feet in all directions. They actually begin to intertwine with all of the other redwoods in a specific grove. So you'll never see a redwood just by itself out in the middle of a field. Why? Because their root systems actually grip each other and hold one another up. A redwood tree without its root system would quickly be dead and on the ground. Another illustration. When skyscrapers are built, what do they do? They drill deep. Put in deep roots, so to speak. That's the the only way a building can actually be built up. Again, without deep roots, the building won't last. Uh, The Millennium Tower in San Francisco is proof of this. There's a picture of it. Uh, It stands 640 feet high and was built only in 2008. But guess what? The pylons weren't drilled deep enough. 
surprise, surprise, it's already leaning. Continuing to walk in Christ means being rooted in him. And I'll point out that roots aren't the part that's seen. They're under the surface. A lot of our rootedness, so to speak, won't be seen by anyone but God. I think of spiritual disciplines here. Reading and meditating on God's word. Praying, fasting, silence and solitude. These are Christian practices that actually root us in Christ. And look what King David writes that Missy read earlier, Psalm 1. He says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. So there's that word walks, same word from our text. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. You see that the same language of walking and rooting here in Psalm 1? To walk the Christian walk is to root yourself in the law of the Lord, to meditate on the scriptures day and night. It's a picture of a tree next to a stream in Psalm 1, whose roots extend and drink deeply of God's word. When do Christians tend to struggle with their faith the most? When they stop reading their Bibles. They've pulled up their roots. It's not surprising that there's no stability and they start to lean. So Paul starts with being rooted, but then he moves upward, rooted and built up in him. Who's him? Jesus. Starting to see a theme? It's not Jesus who roots you and something else that builds you up. It's Jesus, the founder and finisher of our faith. And if roots are under the surface, the building is above the surface. It's what's actually seen in our faith. To walk the Christian walk is to be rooted, but it's also to be built up. And again, grammar matters here. The word rooted is an aorist tense, which means a once and for all planting of the Christian life in Christ. But built up is in a different tense. It's in the present tense, suggesting, again, continual growth. So our union with Christ, being rooted in Christ, never changes. For those who have turned from sin and trusted in Jesus, they're never more or less in Christ. But, as we learned last week, we do grow. We are built up. And that's a process. And notice that these words aren't imperatives or commands. They're participles. Now, why does that matter? Am I just being a, a grammar nerd here? No, it matters. Because Paul's not saying, be rooted, be built up. He's saying, if you're a Christian, 
you'll grow. The Christian life always involves growth. A Christian will be rooted and will be built up. Why? Because they're in him. What does this sound like? John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may be, bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Here it is. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. When we're rooted in him, abiding in him, we will grow. We'll bear fruit. Paul continues on with another participle. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. This word established means to confirm or to treat as valid, to be secure or to be strengthened. And notice what Paul's saying that a Christian life is established in. The faith. Not a faith, not even your faith in a subjective sense. The faith. As Jude 3 says, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The body of teaching known as the gospel. Jesus' teaching on salvation and who it comes from and how it's obtained. The faith. That's what a Christian life is established in. Something that's objectively true and never changes. Not something that shifts or fades away. Not something that's blown about or is amended. The faith. Something that won't be moved and doesn't need to be added to. Something that's as solid as a rock and can be trusted. The faith. You never outgrow the faith. You only become more established in it the longer you walk as a Christian. The same confession of Christ Jesus the Lord will carry you through the whole of the Christian life. And for good measure, Paul adds these words, just as you were taught. He's reminding them that the Christian faith isn't about innovation or new doctrine. If, if I stand up here and I teach you new doctrine, I'm failing as a minister of the gospel. It, it may be new doctrine to you, and that's okay. We should always be learning as Christians. But if I'm saying something new that's never been said before, you should find another church. You should run. The rooted, built-up, established Christian walk is one that isn't after the new and the novel. 
As Tyler said a couple weeks ago, it's a life cemented in teaching that's at least 2,000 years old. Finally, Paul gives us one more aspect of a faithful Christian walk. He says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding, overflowing. Think about a river whose waters can't be contained. That's the image here. A Christian life is one that overflows with thanksgiving. I know I'm being repetitive here, but remember what Paul's combating. A Gnostic heresy that says Christian life is all about secret spiritual knowledge and abstract spiritual ritual. Paul says, no, the Christian life is one that's overflowing with gratitude. The more you come to understand and appreciate the good news of Jesus, the more grateful you'll be. That's the mark of a mature Christian. Not a Christian t-shirt. Not spiritual sounding words. Not speaking in tongues or constantly talking about the Holy Spirit. Thankfulness. Thankfulness is a good assessment of our spiritual state. Because a mature Christian knows that Jesus lived and died for them, by grace has given them all that they need, they should be the most thankful people on the planet. The simple gospel cures us of complaining and overflows in thankfulness. In conclusion, I'll simply ask a couple of questions. First, have you received Christ Jesus the Lord? Have you received Christ Jesus the Lord? If you haven't, we invite you to today. Turn from sin and trust in Christ. He's our only hope in life and death. Have you received Christ Jesus the Lord? Second, are you walking in him? Do your roots run deep, and are you built up in him? If not, what's the next step you need to take today to plant those roots and be established in the faith? Are you abounding in thanksgiving? As elders, last Saturday, that's how we started our meeting. We just spent 30 minutes going around the room, saying individually what we're thankful for about the life of the church. And I want to encourage you guys to do the same thing today. This evening or tomorrow morning, when you spend time in the Word, take out a blank sheet of paper. Write out what you're thankful for in your own life and in the life of this church. Make it a habit of starting your time in the Word this way. Being thankful for the gospel, being thankful for the good gifts that God has given. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving.